Hey, everybody. Uh, let me acknowledge something that I think, uh, I'm not sure, I don't know each and every one of us, but something that might be heavy on your heart. Uh, I've gotten enough messages, and you've watched enough news um, to frankly know that right now we are enjoying a freedom not everyone gets to enjoy today. And so I thought before I get to preaching, and there will be a point to that, um, I thought we should just pause. Uh, it's perhaps one of the least things that we could possibly do right now. And just pray for the folks, okay? So if you would just, wherever you're at, bow your heads and uh, let me pray for us. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, not a single thing ever happens on this earth that catches you off guard. Um, and Lord, you know that uh, what's going on across the ocean doesn't just affect the folks across the ocean. Lord, we've got families with um, sons and daughters who are stationed and wondering what's about to play out. But Lord, we've got folks uh, in the Ukraine who are scared literally to death. Lord, you are aware of the leaders in this world that have levers to pull and are pulling them and some of their decisions glorify you and some feed evil. So Lord, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that those who feel hopeless right now will sense your presence. And that those who are deceived and misguided will become aware of the truth that you are the Almighty. Lord, we ask that you would bring peace but God, even more importantly, we ask, Lord, that you would meet everyone crying out to you right now and that you would uh, comfort them and guide them. And Lord, would you help us as a church to not live in fear, but to live with the hope that you've promised. So Lord, I just ask that you intervene. I know you already have been, but Lord, we just ask, that's the desire of our hearts, that you would intervene. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a question I get asked regularly, so what do we do, David? Like I have the answers. Uh, you and I know well enough that around the corner is another major thing in our world. Not specifically even talking about Ukraine and Russia. That around the corner there's going to be something else. It could be local, it could be far. And we now live in, a, I think, a season now it feels like, does it not feel like one, one issue doesn't even end before the other one pops up. And, you, and just so you know, that's not actually all that new. But I get asked all the time, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? So I'm going to preach about that, okay? And I am very confident not everyone will like what I have to say, okay? Because it's going to require some work. It's going to require that you and I say, well, that makes me a little uncomfortable, or I don't feel like I can do that, or I'm not sure, I don't know how. But if you would at least let your hearts be open to whatever God has to share with you today, I assure you that what God has to say today has everything to do with actually impacting our world, okay? So let me give you some history, and we'll roll this out. For those of you who skipped history class, smoked in the bathroom. I don't know what you did, but if, if it, uh, whatever you did, let, let me show you something you might not be aware of that probably was addressed in history class. In 1910, 
14% of high school age kids were actually in school. Nowadays, we'd be like, what? Some of the kids aren't going, I want to go back to 1910. That's so I, ju I just want to show you how fast life plays out. So if you do your math right, right 45 years later, we're up to 84% of high school age kids were in school. That's a, that's a significant growth pattern. Lots of different reasons attributed to that. I'm not bringing it up to give all, get into all the details of that. Then, right after that plays out, from 56 to 69, college enrollment more than doubled. What I want you to see out of this is, apparently, in our nation, a season in just our short history arrived where people started paying attention to, in a way that they had never paid attention to, the development of, call them teenagers, kids, youth, however you want to talk about it. But history tells us just in our nation, a shift began to occur where we've got very few people in school that are young to where all of a sudden it's almost like a cultural expectation. At least, I know in our home, the kids are required to go to school. They ask regularly. <laughs> so here's what this has done that you may not know about regarding our culture. People found out how to make money off of this. Shocker. In fact, uh, because youth began to get educated and youth began to become a very influential part of our society, call them a generation, well, marketing agencies began to say to businesses, we know how you can sell them stuff. And so this began the era of paying attention to what youth want to do with their time and what they like to actually enjoy in life. And marketing agencies would study teenagers specifically, pass that information on to businesses, and then that became a new type of generation. See, in the, in the old days, old days, generations used to be defined not by these little groups that you and I, we might say like boomers or, or Gen Xers or millennials or Gen Z, all that. No, no. Uh, there used to be like the whole group of people, and it was based on literary style, artistic style, intellectual things. It was big and it was, it was broad. Then money changed this, right? And so if you don't know this, it whittled down to every generation is now classified inside of 10 to 15 years, and then it changes. It didn't used to be that way. Built on, literally built on defining generations by, so what do you want to buy and what do you want to do with your time? That's why some of you don't like the new generations. You hear the nervous laughter? If you didn't online, it was in here. <laughs> and see, the constant new change in generation after generation after generation that you and I are witnessing has us taking a one of two primary approaches or postures towards generations. And, and here, here they are. I am overgeneralizing a lot, but this is important. Attitude, belief, and behavior. That is a different way of saying the word generation for those of you who are like, I don't understand. What are we talking about generations? Every group of people, and then it becomes a new group of people, and then a new group of people, and apparently every 10 to 15 years called generation. Here's what they're talking about. What is their attitude towards life? What do they believe? And how are they behaving that out? And every 10 to 15 years, 
This is shifting. And so it's got us a couple postures. Some of us are uninvolved, and you better believe we are critiquing them. If you're a, a, a boss or anyone who hires anyone, confession time? You have likely critiqued the new batch of people applying. This is what generations are doing, and, and I'm telling you, this is a warning in essence is I don't think if you're a follower of Jesus Christ that the best approach to the upcoming generations, especially if it's going to happen every 10 to 15 years, is to be uninvolved with them and critiquing them. I've already put on the screen what I think the Bible, more specifically what God tells us to do, is to be involved with them. Whether you like it or not. And to not just be involved, like, so what, we just, we buy them stuff? No, like, be involved and disciple them. Our calling as a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian, welcome to your free weekend that none of this applies to you. You can be like, you know, I'm going to just sit back and watch this guy. This is crazy. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, your salvation, your relationship with God should never just be about you and for you. And this plays out most specifically as the generations change. Because I've had enough conversations, and there appears to be a temptation in life that as soon as you stop liking the new generation, you're like, they're crazy. I don't know. Somebody fix that. No. no. Our role is to disciple. Now, that really throws some of us for a loop because we're like, disciple? Isn't that your job, Reverend David Canant, right? right? <laughs> if you don't know what disciple or discipleship means, we've got to get familiar with this word because it's actually what Jesus asked us to do. Uh, discipleship is helping people take the next step of obedience. Some of us are like, I thought discipleship was signing up to teach a Sunday school class for the next 30 years. No, no. I thought discipleship was uh, becoming a seminary professor at my church and like teaching all of the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic. No, no. According to the model that Jesus gave us, like what is a discipleship? It's being involved in another person's life. It doesn't have to be 12 uh, or 30 or 1,000. No, you're involved in someone else's life and your goal as, as helping them know what to do is literally what's your next step of obedience for, with, with your relationship with God and walking this out? How do you do that? It's not complicated. That's, see, many of us right now are going, I'm really uneasy about this. Because the church has done a brilliant job, and I mean that sarcastically, the church has done a horrible job at putting all the onus of the word discipleship and disciple on people like myself. And if you want to know what's breaking down in our society, is it is physically impossible for those like myself who go nerd out at college and don't even remember half of it, I'm sorry, to do it all. If you want the next generation and then the next generation to know who Jesus is, well, one, if this is all you get, stop critiquing them and get involved. And we have a model of this in Scripture. There's a guy named Moses who was, in essence, giving his final speech and, and, and sermon. And he said a lot of fantastic stuff. 
In fact, if he was here now, he would want me to highlight a few more things than I'm going to highlight. But I want you to catch a trend in what he was saying. Think about the last time you're going to talk to a group of people, and you're going to say, hey, all right, most important stuff right now, please listen up. Just watch it. You'll, you'll catch it because I may have helped a little bit. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Now, when we read this in the Bible, sometimes we, we, we stop at, and you. And you're like, this is for me. True. But Moses did not note, he did not stop at just saying, what I'm about to share is for you. He could have said that, and people in isolated ways going, well, here's what I'm going to do with that. He gets specific for you and your children, and not just your children, and your grandchildren. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, there's generational talk there, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Now watch this. Again, I'm helping here. Look at how he says to practically do this. Repeat them. So I'm going to do the same sermon the next 50 weeks. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Repeat them again and again to your children. If your kids aren't making fun of you yet for the things that you are repeating to them, you're not doing it right. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home. If you're going, what do we talk about? Uh, talk about them when you're at home and when you are on the road and when you're going to bed, and when you're getting up. Translation, all the stinking time. So, again, if Moses, wouldn't that be cool, if Moses were here, and, he, and we would say, hey, Moses, do you have a word for, like, Fountain Springs Church? Like, what would you tell us, based off what you said a long time ago? And here's what I think he would say. Don't ignore other generations. Disciple them. And if you right now are looking at things like Ukraine and Russia, and you feel overwhelmed, maybe you feel afraid, maybe you're like, what do I do? If you're looking locally and going, man, even locally there's an issue. If you don't know what's happening even amongst youth right now, the amount of anxiety and depression and, and just damage that has played out, you're going, what do I do? How do I fix this? I think Moses just told us. It's such a big problem. We're looking to the elected people, asking them to fix it, where I think the Christians should say, yeah, but what do I do? So, what do we do? Well, Jesus was asked, uh, hey, hey, what is the most important thing to do? And what others, they basically were saying, like, how do we do life? What should we do? And, and, and you'll recognize what Jesus had to say when asked this. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So after he's laid out that, you know, love God, love others, and they've known that, and now, now they're like, so what do we do, like Jesus, how do we play this out? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you don't like what Moses had to say, hopefully what Jesus had to say has some weight to your very soul right now. That Jesus said, okay, you want to be a Christian? You want to follow me? Here's what you do. You got to go tell other people. The problem is, is again, the church misinterpreted this. really apologize for that. Uh, and we begin to say, what's well, at all nations? So we only go tell people in other nations. just processing if I should say what just came to mind yeah say it um, many parents and adults and teachers and leaders stopped paying attention to where they were and made sure the gospel got overseas And I think what we have now is what I would call the greatest Christian crime. Ignoring discipleship, most specifically in our own homes. Flat out ignoring it. And what do I mean by ignoring it? Like, meaning that you didn't participate and you passed it off to someone else or you didn't even expect it. Oh, <clears throat> I think, I think we can let the current events of our world right now cause us to go into a corner and live in fear and maybe, maybe, maybe you're, either, you're just gonna spend time critiquing why we're there or what happened or who could have stopped it. Okay, what about another group of us that says, okay, what about the next one though? Can we, can we influence the next one? Can we get involved now and actually make a difference in this world instead of just giving up critiquing and ignoring? And I hope, I hope you know that whether you are a part of this church or not, our take <laughs> is we're not going to quit. So we've got to learn, what did Jesus teach us? So let, let me take you, this, this is going to feel like I'm just turning this into a money talk. I'm not, watch this, for those of you who get all uptight. But listen, Luke 6.38, give and you will receive. Bad, like, I want to say bad TV preachers, but I guess I'm on TV right now. Anyways, give. <laughs> <coughs> Bad preaching says giving you will receive means that refers to money. In other words, that, that you give and then all of a sudden the checks start flowing in the mailbox. And, and well, just stay, stay, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make more room. You know what that means? Don't, 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 don't let me read you the Bible and be like, no idea what that, no. Like if you shake it and everything falls down, it makes more room. Just making sure we get this, okay? Press down, shaking together, make more room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you will, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Now, if you apply that to money, that does sound very intriguing. My conclusion is that wasn't about money. You know why? Good question. Look what keeps getting written. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. That's my clue. Jesus said something, they're like, what? So he gives an illustration. Can, can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Answer is yes. Uh, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. Please in your mind at least reference that scripture that was very captivating when you thought it was about money. This is where it gets convicting. 
See, when we read places in the Bible that says, uh, so if we give a lot, we get a lot? Yes, please. But what if it was about the next generation? And if you actually will give a lot to the next generation, if you will train the next generation, guess what we get? A better world. The problem that you and I have to deal with individually is that many of us are more apt to do it if it was financial rather than generational. So let the Holy Spirit walk into your very soul right now and do some work and say potentially, potentially, that if you and I, just as a church up in the area of the world that people go, you live in South Dakota, huh? Is it cold all the time? No. What if a church where we are paid attention to this and said, okay, if Jesus said training the student is a huge deal, it's going to be a huge deal to me, even if I feel it or not. Now, I knew at this point in the sermon, people would be like, you don't know me. And perhaps right now, the reason you are not investing in the next generation is because of this. You feel insecure. So I thought I'd bring it up. Insecurity. I don't know what to say or do. Many of us, if you're a parent, come on. Do you not feel overwhelmed sometimes if you're a parent? And then the grandparents come in and like wreck all your rules. And you're like, what in the world? Right? Stop feeding them candy. At 10 at night kind of stuff, right? You're like, okay. Most parents, if you don't know this, like in their heart of hearts, the stuff that we don't always reveal is that we feel insecure. We're not sure exactly what do I teach my kids and how do I know I've taught them everything they need? Then if you're not even a parent, you're like, disciple someone? Like, where do I start in the Bible? Do I start with the Bible? Do they have to have this thing memorized? Are they going to ask me questions that I don't know answers to? Do you see what insecurity does to us? And we're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. And so the answer is, I'm going to keep learning from Pastor David, and then one day, I'm going to tip it over. No, you won't. This is why Jesus is discipling his disciples. And like mid-class, they're not ready. If you want to know what happens at the end, Jesus is crucified, and the majority, as in uh, there's only about one disciple there, the rest of them have, have run for their lives. If you want to tell like what had locked in about who he was, they were still like, we're not sure. But, but midway, Jesus one time is like, hey, here's guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and preach, and I don't want you to take anything with you at all. Like not even a bag. Like, come on, can we have a bag? No, you can't even have a bag. And just go out and preach. Do you know how insecure they would have felt? Do you know the disciples didn't know everything? In fact, the disciples, listen to this, they didn't even know about Jesus what you know about Jesus right now. More practically, at least in my life, you know what happens in, in my life if something breaks? I, I was raised where, I mean, you, which is good, you, you call someone who knows how to fix it, right? Well, there's a little bit of me goes like, well, maybe I should learn. And I just need a confession time here. Who, when you need to learn something, you go to YouTube. Does anyone else go to, just uh, r- r- proud, be proud one, yes. <laughs> now, should I be doing all that YouTube says? No, no, no. I want to highlight something. That you and I, at least me, let me just say about me and you see if it applies to you, that I'm not always consistent in my insecurities. That sometimes I will say, I don't know how to do that, so I'm not going to do that. But there are many things that when, it, when, I, 
when I evaluate, well, a plumber is going to cost such and such. What's YouTube say? When you weigh the cost, do you know what many of us are willing to do? Learn. What if you weighed the cost of the next generation? What if, what if you thought about, you know what? This is such a big deal, not just about my kids or my grandkids. What about, what about my friend's kids and my friend's grandkids and, or the people I don't even know? Like, what if I put that weight on our table at home and said, to this family, not just what we know about God, what the next generation is going to know about God, let's make that important. And when you carry that weight, you know what happens? God gives you opportunities, and he shows you what to say. The Bible even says there's times you don't even know what to say in the moment, and then stuff just comes out. And then you go write it down for next time. Don't let insecurity rob you. If you don't know what to do, let me give you some basics. This is basics, like super, super basics. Uh, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. If you've been paying attention to the whole sermon, you're like, I've heard that before, right? This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love others, right? You've heard that. And Jesus here is going back to what I read to you in Deuteronomy chapter six. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, we're like, okay, love, love God. Love others. Can you give me some more detail? Yes, I can. Uh, I've told you many times I've had different coaches in my life helping me know how in the world to put one foot in front of the other. And uh, and one of my coaches, a pastor in Georgia, put this uh, down in picture format. (laughs) Not just for me, but I think this helps. I don't know if we're going to have baseball this year, so enjoy this one. Here we go. This is what those verses and what the Bible teaches. If you have any interest in investing in the next generation, if you have any interest in in carrying that weight and saying, God, how would you use me in the life of someone else? This is a great example, and I'm going to explain it because you will see how great this is. It starts with connecting, a love for God. If you're not like, what do I say when I tell someone I want to help disciple them, I want to show them who Jesus is, where do I start? You start talking about God and a love for God. You don't answer it all in one moment. But then you begin going here, character. Because once you begin to love God, you begin to understand some things about yourself, that your character matters and that God actually defines your value. Remember the way Jesus said it, that we're supposed to love others the way we love ourselves. And then there's the relationally capable group of people, how to love other people, right? And then eventually you get to competence. And, and part of discipleship is like just not like loving God and loving others and sit in, like sit in your holy huddle and, and do nothing. There's about getting involved in other people's lives. Sometimes it's vocationally. Sometimes it's just for fun. But what I want to show you is not just that because that's not really new to a lot of us. Connect character, capable, and competence. Love God, love others, love yourself, and, and like love what you do. Okay, got that. We got that. What I want to show you is, if you and I don't get involved in discipling the next generation, you know what happens, right? It's what's happening right now. We run the bases backward. To where someone who doesn't know any better and no one ever instructed them falls in line with going, well, the most important thing with God is, is that I clean my life up. That I do the right things. I go to the right places. 
It's all about competence. It's all about like what you do and how well you do it. And then if you do that well enough, you know what the world will tell you, if you do that well enough, um, other people will like your posts on social media. And if other people like you, maybe you'll like yourself. And if you've got other people in your corner and you like you and you're doing good with your life, well, then God finally must be pleased with you. If no one disciples the next generation, that's how they're going to think this is. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to give up on God. They're going to cheat their own selves. They're going to have a, a poor view of themselves. Do you see this working out right now in culture? They don't even know who they are. They're not confident in it, at least. The inability to even talk with each other has gone to crazy town. Did you know this? Do you know that teenagers don't even really hang out in person anymore? It's going down and down and down like every year, you know, how they hang out with each other because just digital hanging out is just so much easier. If you and I don't get involved, we'll have a generation that's trying to follow God backwards. And it always starts with God. So if you're a parent, I hope you took a picture, even if you don't like baseball. See, now you just learn baseball. Oh, I'm supposed to go to first base, second base, third base, home, right? But this, this is discipleship. It's fluid. It takes time. Oh, it takes time. I conveniently just brought up the last issue. <laughs> Priorities. David, I don't have time to do what you just said. I don't have time. I mean, who doesn't have time? I don't have time. You don't have to. We don't have time. Can we agree that none of us have time? Wrong. Okay. Let me teach you about time. This is a, I'm going to walk you into a lesson that I share with my kids, and we're going to learn about this because, you know, what they, they don't have time to do their homework. <clears throat> All right. Let me teach you about time if you don't know about time. For those of you going, I would disciple people. I just don't have the time. I got so much going on. Is it that you don't have enough time or, or you don't have the right rhythm? There's a right answer to this. What I would contend in life is that you don't have the right rhythm. Many of us have time. It's just we're using our time differently, and we've created wrong rhythms that have us exhausted, exasperated, and not sure what to do with our lives to where we're not doing anything with our lives. So if you're like, I want to disciple someone. I don't have a time. Let's, let's deal with rhythm here. Rhythms and routines aren't neutral. They are not neutral. They never will be neutral. They either strengthen or weaken, always. There is no like, ah, someday, or maybe I will. If you and I would address the rhythms in our life right now, how regularly do you do A, B, C? Not exactly what time, but how regular do you do it? I'm going to keep bringing this up. The amount of things that we're doing regularly regarding relationships, listen, is tanking. If you want marriage help, create better rhythms. You don't have to go on a date every single week. You know what you have to do? Is regularly spend time with each other. Rhythms are essential. So, so I want you to evaluate. What is your rhythm regarding helping the next generation know who Jesus is? I told you at the beginning of the sermon. I warned you for those of you upset right now. You're like, Insecurity and time, those are my reasons. How do you know? I didn't. God brought them up, and I'm just passing them along. Let's go back 
to our agenda. Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read it again. Then Jesus gave the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? What if you applied this to generations? Can one blind generation lead another generation? Won't they both fall into a ditch? Students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. The student who is fully trained. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, put this somewhere in front of you. The student who is fully trained, and what are you doing about it? Starts in your home, but it doesn't end in your home. So I'll pass on to something else I've learned. What do I do? Here's some practical tip. Practical tip. Voluntary mutual submission. These are words that are dangerous. So let me, voluntary, no one's making you do it. Mutual, the other person or group's like, cool with it. Submission. What does that look like? How can I serve you? What can I do to help? Okay. If I had a pastor hat, I would put it on right now. Look at me, church. If we ever get to the point that we're neglecting the next generation, at least in this church, we'll cancel these services so that we can invest in the next generation. Are you clear on that? It is that important because most of us already know enough right now to follow the ways of Jesus, but the next generation doesn't. So our posture with the next generation must continually and constantly be, how can I serve them? What do I do to help? It's an old story. Uh, happened, I say old, sorry. I should not have said that when I tell you the date, sorry. In, in the 60s, In the 60s, this is a real story, um, this college student named Bill had this encounter with God that was incredible, and he decided to follow God. Was not at a church, uh, but this is like hippieville, okay? Bill was a hippie, so much so that Bill didn't care for shoes. <laughs> Bill didn't care what he even was wearing. He gives his life to Jesus Christ, and then someone says, hey, have you considered being a part of a church? And there was a church across the street from the university that he got saved in. Or, uh, uh, and so he walks across the street. There are services going on. <laughs> Bill does not have shoes on. Bill looks like a hippie. Now, in the 60s, when you went to church, do you know how you were supposed to dress? Not like myself right now, okay? Suits and ties and dresses. If you're in the South, awesome hats. Well, Bill walks in, this is a true story, walks in, goes down the middle of the aisle, because, well, it's the biggest aisle, looking for a seat. The place is packed. So he ends up in the front. <laughs> and that's where some of you have been before, and you're like, this is awkward. I'm in the front. And there's no seat. So you know what Bill does? Sits down in the middle of the aisle. Now in the 60s, uh, there also was... Uh, like social norms. One of them was, oh, like now, you don't go sit in the middle of the aisle. In the back, a man described as being in his 80s gets up, he walks with a cane, and he walks, and this is slow, but with his cane, he walks to the front. Everyone knows what's going to happen. Um, is this kid going to get hit with the cane? Um, <laughs> how's this going to work? 
but this is where the person comes to let this person know, hey, you don't belong there. Like, no, get out, all that. But the way the story goes is the gentleman walks up to him, sets his cane down, and it is painful watching him set his cane down, and then the 80-year-old gentleman sits down next to the kid and spends the rest of the service listening to the sermon. That's how I envision our church, is that you and I would see the next generation not by their behaviors or their beliefs or their attitudes, but by the fact that they have a soul. They matter to Jesus, and so we get involved. And so I'm going to give you an application that some of you will think is a straight-up scam. Uh, Here's a number. Uh, This is me. I'd like for you to text me if, don't just randomly text me, seriously. (laughs) But if you'd be willing to get involved in our efforts as a church collectively at investing in the next generation, this does not mean that you're signing up to teach some class. But if if you know as much right now going, I I feel insecure about this, I don't know how I have the right time and rhythm, whatever, uh, but, but I know that the next generation needs me, I just would like to help you, okay? So here's what you do. Text this number, text the word serve to this number. So again, some of you think this is a scam. It's funny watching your faces. <laughs> and by the, those online and on TV, uh-huh. And we'll help you wherever you're at. But if you're not currently doing this and you need help doing this, whether it be just exclusively in your home and you're like, what do I do? How do I do this? But, or maybe it's as a church, you help the whole church figure out a way that we invest in the next generation. Uh, your next step is I've given you my number. Text me the word serve so I know what you're leading with and I'll help you. I don't know any other way to do this. So as the illustration went, um, you're up to bat now. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, would you stir in our very souls a weight and a passion for the generations that follow us? God, would you help us want them to know who you are more than we want money or acclaim or even peace and security God, would you give us a a fire that says the next generation needs to know who God is. We love you, God. Would you challenge us and equip us and empower us and fuel us to do what you want done? We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.